0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Talk about the Cardinals all night
0: long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We're going to talk about the Cardinals all night long. Good evening. Welcome into another edition of Meet Me At Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70. It's Matt at C70 on Twitter. With me this week, filling in for the uh, on assignment, Alan Medlock, is Alex Christopher Foley. You'll find him uh, at AlexCard79 on Twitter. Uh, it's been a while since Terps, so I don't know that we can even say that. But uh, <laughs> hopefully
1: at some point in time, that'll, that'll return. But Alex, how, how are you? I'm doing well. I, yeah, hopefully I'll talk to Tara soon and we'll get that worked out. I, I made the mistake again of jumping on here without, I remember last time I, I told myself next time I do a meet me at mutual, I'm going to listen to the theme song to kind of get like, you know, in the, <laughs> really in that meet me at mutual space. Uh, Cause I love the theme song so much, which the people listening, have just now heard it. Um, that's the song I'm talking about. It's a lovely right. song. I believe one of your friends did it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I forgot to do that. So if any slip ups or whatever, it's all because I forgot to uh, properly pump myself up first (laughs) with the theme.
0: Yeah. Alex is only gonna be able to give a hundred percent, not 110% because (laughs) of not, not firing himself up. So um, yeah, I I get that. I get that. It's a little bit, it's always weird. I was on with the, the talking about birds guys not too long ago. And it's always weird to be on a show that you actually listen to on the regular because it is a, a completely different experience. Um, Cardinals are in spring training, and I know you are traditionally not a spring training guy. Um, is it different for you this year with the fact that it's the wildness and craziness of the last couple of years in, involving spring training?
1: I don't know. I will say this anytime I get video of Ozzie Smith walking around the field, shaking hands, um, especially like, you know, introducing uh, making introductions with Mason Wynn. I'm all in. Uh, I can never get enough of that sort of footage. Um, So I don't know if the last couple of years play into it, but I've always when it comes to spring training, been more of like that pageantry stuff that I like. Um, more so than the actual narratives and storylines and uh, games once once they begin. Uh, I, I don't know why that is. Uh, I wish I could get into the games more. I wish I could. I, I think it's kind of that thing of trying trying to figure out what matters and what doesn't. Mm. If that makes sense. It's, it's yeah. very hard, especially at this time. But even I would say in mid-March, sometimes it's hard to figure out what matters, what doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've
0: talked about it on the show. I wrote about it a little bit today at Substack, but, you know, spring training is what, 30, 40 at-bats for a guy and, you know, 10 to 12 innings maybe for a a pitcher. I mean, how, you know, it's the epitome of small sample sizes, especially since some of those samples are coming against guys that are not going to make the major league roster on other teams. So how much do you factor in? I guess... This is a situation what works, and I think we talked. I heard Ollie talking about it a little bit too. It works more for the the eye test and, and the metrics and stuff like that versus, you know, if a guy's hitting 400, it doesn't really matter. But if he's, you know, visibly swinging well,
1: that's, that's much more important. For sure. And it's also kind of another reminder, and this is even more apparent on opening day at Bush. And I was kind of thinking about this uh, earlier because of McCarver and not that McCarver was a red jacket guy or even like a guy at spring training, but every year it seems like there's just fewer people around that we used to depend on being there when we were growing up uh, or not even growing up, even just five years ago. Um, so, So yeah, it's just another reminder that all these people from who just sort of seemed like constants with the organization, are kind of slowly but surely um you know dying off i don't know <laughs> a better way to put it than that <laughs> yeah, okay. other than being very literal about it but yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of sad it's kind of uh i don't know you know and i we lost suitor uh was that about oh, what, what two months
0: ago something like that yeah
1: yeah and, and again he wasn't as quite the presence as like a bob gibson was at spring training um but still it's uh it's, it's been an interesting couple of years in that regard for I, I don't know if this is other teams other fans of other teams feel this way but man it feels like we've lost a lot starting with Lou Brock and then um, going forward from there
0: yeah I think to some degree that's that you know it's hard for icons of a team to come in the downtimes right um the success of the postseason and things of that nature helps build those reputations. Um, And the Cardinals had such a run there in the sixties. You know, those players, that, that whole group became, you know, somewhat legendary to some degree. Um, And yeah, we're, you know, crazily enough getting to, you know, 60 plus years from that. Um, So it just, you know, naturally those kind of people are. And so since there was such a clump of them, they start leaving us in the kind of the same clump and it, and it hits a little bit harder. Now, Suter's a little bit different because, you know, he was a little bit younger, but, um, you know, there are those, those, and and the Cardinals have been fortunate, right? I mean, Red lived to, you know, late nineties. So did Stan. Um, you know, some of these guys have been around for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a factor of us getting old as well, I think, is, is to see these guys that, you know, we remember, even we don't even remember watching, right? These guys were gone play from playing by the time we came around, but have grown up with all our lives knowing about Gibson and, you know, McCarver was a fixture when we grew up on, on national scene and then, you know, broadcasting and things like that, um, to them, see them go is, is tough. I'm curious, what, are you, what were your thoughts on McCarver? Um, I liked McCarver. I didn't ever have the angst about him. I, you know, I thought, in, in, there's no doubt that because he was on the Fox and he was doing postseason games, that when he came to the Cardinals and did games with Danny Mac, it just naturally made that game feel more important. Um, even if it was some game against the pirates in mid July with Tim Carver on the mic, you're just kind of naturally attuned to, Oh, this is something important. So I, you know, he, he told good stories. He, he knew, I mean, he, you know, just like any announcer that you hear too often, you start, you know, getting a little tired of certain anecdotes or certain ways of going about it. And, you know, maybe you, you can tell a story's coming before even starts it. that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think to some degree we were fortunate in that regard. You know, he didn't do as many games. He was just a, kind of a, a drop in here and there. And I think that really made that time with Danny Mac really cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I never had the problem with him that a lot of people did. What about you?
1: Same. I I definitely never disliked him when he did uh, all those years he was doing the postseason games. In fact, I, I remember the opposite, like – pretty much enjoying him um when he started doing those games every once in a while with dan mclaughlin the carnal games i i kind of felt as though he felt reborn in a way and Mm. uh, i don't know if that's just the lower stakes of the gig you're not talking to a national audience you're not announcing you're not in the booth for game seven of a world series or anything like that if you slip up not as many people are going to notice you can be a little more whimsical and not as serious uh but i thought he was such a pleasure and those were my favorite games uh that they've had i would say over the last i don't know when did he start doing that was that 2006 or 16 Uh, i think he
0: did it like six years so i almost may have been 13, 13 to 19, 14
1: to 19, something like that. Wow. Uh, I had no idea. Sure. Was doing it that. Way. Okay. So those, that was probably my favorite team. And they've had, you know, they've had lots of teams since then. One thing that's funny about him, one of my earliest memories of Tim McCarver, because it, it wasn't as a Cardinal, obviously, because I think when we were growing up, he was more, he was doing Mets games, I believe. Um, you know, he, yeah, yeah. That better Phillies. Yeah. Okay. So one of those two teams. And one of my earliest memories of him, and this was pretty, I guess, you know, late into my baseball watching days already. But when do you remember when Deion Sanders poured like a a cooler of water on him? Because McCarver, this is when the Braves were in the World Series. And Deion Mm -hmm. Sanders was uh, also a two sport athlete, uh, similar to Bo Jackson. And he was playing football on a day of a World Series game. Mm -hmm. And if I recall, McCarver kind of criticized him during the broadcast, said it was kind of a selfish act, like, look, your team's in a World Series, you should be here, which whether you agree or don't agree with that, it's a legit thing to say. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to totally agree with it, but it's not totally out of bounds. And after one of the games, McCarver, I think kind of like, if I remember the video correctly, David Justice is kind of like egging him on
0: and and Deion
1: Sanders just takes this huge jug of ice water and pours it on him to a not very happy Tim McCarver, which I wouldn't have been very happy. either. But if anyone's, if anyone hasn't seen this, I'm sure you could find it on Google, but that was one of my early memories of, of Tim McCarver, even though, you know, I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. He'd been around forever. I definitely knew his name, knew he had once played for the Cardinals, but I don't know. I don't know why I went off on this tangent. It's definitely not his uh, favorite memory, I'm sure. But overall, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter, I really enjoyed his memory and how quickly he could recall some anecdote from the 60s uh, when something very mundane would happen in a contemporary game. And then he would just say, that reminds me of, you know, when we were playing, the, I don't know, the Mets at Shea in 75. Or whatever. You you know what I'm talking Ooh, about. He was right. perfect at those. Uh and it made the broadcast very, very enjoyable. It does look like
0: maybe you can find uh maybe the uh ESPN Sports Center version of that Dion Sanders kerfuffle on YouTube if you want to hunt it up. Okay. Um Yeah, I I do remember that. And I think I don't know do you Like when you're growing up, did you associate with McCarver with the Cardinals? Because I don't think I even, I mean, maybe I'm sure somewhere, and I know obviously somewhere along the way I figured this out. But I don't know how much I associated him with the Cardinals just because he was doing national games or whatever the case may be. And I don't know that I really realized his contributions to the Cardinals till probably much later.
1: I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily associate him with the Cardinals. I knew he had played for the Cardinals mostly because in the third grade, I read Bob Gibson's autobiography um, Mm -hmm. from ghetto to glory. It was kind of like the very first big book I ever read. Uh, It took me like a couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I kept having to like, check it out from the library. Um, And as you can guess, McCarver, gets a little bit of play in that book because he's talking about all his teammates and, and, you know, everyone, especially people who are on some of those teams like 64 or whatever. So I definitely knew he played for the Cardinals, but no, when I heard his, when I was tuning into the world series and it was uh Tim McCarver in the booth, I wasn't thinking former Cardinal Tim McCarver. Right. I'm thinking broadcaster Tim McCarver.
0: Yeah. I mean, any, any of, you know, you know, nowadays, and I don't think you'll ever. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? If somewhere, twenty years from now, I don't think it'd work the way, same way. But twenty twenty-five years from now, if Al, Adam, Adam Wainwright gets into the broadcasting booth, if a generation doesn't necessarily immediately associate him with the Cardinals, but that'd probably be different because he did play his whole entire career there, whereas McCarver bounced around. So,
1: well, and I think that's a testament to how much time McCarver put in in the broadcast booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how, whether you liked him or not, how much influence he had over that gig. Uh, he, he talked about, uh, at least I, I think Brian Kenny used to mention this. So I, I'm hoping I'm quoting the right person, but he used to talk about how McCarver was talking about pitch framing long before anyone else was. Uh, so he, yeah. again, whether you liked him or not, he saw the game in a very smart way, um, Did you see that replay of the uh, of the end of the 2002 World Series? I had never seen that before. I don't think so. No. Okay, so this was getting the rounds after yesterday, after it came out that McCarver had died. You know, Luis Gonzalez last at bat of the uh, 2002 World Series. I'm, oh I'm, okay. sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 2000, 2001, 2001 World Series.
0: Yeah, I did I didn't watch it, but I, I saw the clip. It's all yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Okay. I had never I had never seen that before. Uh, and he was great at saying those exact things. And then now sometimes it would uh it would kind of backfire. If I recall when Colton Wong got picked off, wasn't he kind of criticizing the Red Sox for, for holding for even holding Colton Wong on weird. the base there? if I recall. You know, he was basically saying, like, there's Probably. no reason for the first baseman to be uh, to, to be trying to hold the runner on in this situation. And then and then they pick Colton Wong <laughs> off. And then, you know, I think to his credit, he was like, OK, well, that's why they're doing that. Um, but he had a very good eye for the game and he had such a large influence over the game fr- as from an announcer that who knows if Adam Wainwright can be in the booth for 20, 25 years, that's you know, assuming he even goes that way after baseball, yeah. then I think there would be a lot of fans who would kind of first think of him, you know, Adam Wainwright announcer and then think, before thinking Adam Wainwright, Cardinals pitcher.
0: It may It also depend on how he does the broadcast because a lot of those play-by-play guys now, right? They kind of trade on their um experience, which I mean, McCarver did sub too, obviously we talked about that telling stories about Bob Gibson and stuff of that nature. But he did, like you said, also analyze the game in a in a way that's a little bit different. And That was a quote I was reading on the Wikipedia when I was looking it up just a minute ago. Uh, I, I forgot who said it about him, but he said, if you asked him a carver of the time, he tells you how the watch was made. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of, you know, anal- oh, maybe overanalyzing at some points in time. Um, so, you know, that... That's not necessarily what you get out of like former players all that often. Um, you know, maybe we will more as the players that have growing up with these analytics that we're seeing now or that play with these analytics start migrating into the broadcast booth. Um, you know, obviously it's a different game than when Jim Edmonds and Brad Thompson were playing. And so they're not necessarily, not that that especially, well, I don't think Jim Edmonds is big on the metrics, but, um, you know, they may talk about them, but they didn't necessarily live them the same way. So maybe they'll see a little bit of that other players, but yeah, I think McCarver's just going to kind of stand on. I mean, he's, I don't remember if he, he got the Ford Frick Award, right? I mean, that, so that puts I him in the I think they way. said
1: he won within the last 10 years, maybe. Maybe. Did I see that um, right? I could be wrong. I will find out. Um,
0: We'll see when he, when, see when he won it, uh, 2012.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, close.
0: So, yeah. Right around there. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, pretty remarkable. Um, and it, you know, again, it, I don't know that it was a big surprise. I mean, you know, I hadn't heard anything about McCarver recently, but when he didn't come back after the pandemic to do even a handful of games kind of made me think that maybe his health wasn't as great as it could be. Um, but you know, 81, that's a good long, that's a good long run
1: for sure. And it, it has me thinking of, of Mike Shannon as well, because Mm -hmm. he had his own battle with COVID and, you know, Mike Shannon's certainly not young either. Um, and I I don't want to be in the business of saying like, Hey, this is going to be the next guy to die. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) That's not fun, but it, it, it is a reminder to, I guess, appreciate people while they're here. I, I mean, we, it's harder to appreciate Mike Shannon since he's not going to be on our radio every night um, and, and wasn't last year either, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, it does feel like Shannon's probably the last tied to that era of baseball, and then we start looking at those guys from the 80s like Ozzy and Willie, mm-hmm. and, and they're still you know, relatively young um, and should, should still have a number of good years ahead of them. Um, you know, and again, that that era of the 70s, there just doesn't seem to be a player that necessarily, I'm sure there's people that are just slightly older than us that are going to tell me, well, you should be talking about this guy or this guy, but, you know, I don't know that there's people that, in that era, that just stood out as much as the others because they just, you know, to some degree weren't as good of teams, and so that's they didn't have quite as good of players on them usually. Yeah. Um. So, Let's transition from the old teams to the new team. Uh, Cardinals are in spring training. Um, It is impossible to tell anything yet, except for the fact that we've made it, what? I don't know. Has it been a week, I guess? Five days at least? And knock on all sorts of wood, we haven't had any bad injury news, which Mm is kind of a good run for for the Cardinals in spring, in in history time. Um, I guess that's really all you're looking for right now, right? Is that everybody's... I mean, I think Gio, Giovanni Gallego still hasn't made it to camp because he has some family issues or something of that nature. But for the most part, everybody's there. Everybody's throwing and hitting and, and everybody looks fine.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I live in D.C. And the front page of the paper yesterday was talking about how Strasburg is, you know, not at camp and there's no timetable. And everyone's just basically like, can we just do a retirement ceremony now? Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, we saw what happened yeah. in Texas with uh, DeGrom. Uh, so, yeah, we should feel lucky, but also very cognizant of the fact that it's been one week. Right. <laughs> so um, we'll see. I, I always expect there to be at least one, especially at, for, on the pitching side, there to be one mm-hmm. at least. Okay, well, this guy's going to be out until May. Um, for whatever reason, um, I I guess that's why the Cardinals currently have what six plausible starting pitchers right now. If we're talking about um, well, I I guess who am I? Okay, we got Michaelis, Montgomery, Wainwright, Flaherty, Mats.
0: You've got Dakota Hudson, Dakota got... Hudson, and,
1: and Matt Liberatore. So right, yeah, Liberatore, so yeah, yeah. But seven. I'm I'm using quotation marks. Starting pitchers, I you can people. I know Dakota Hudson is not the most popular starting pitcher the Cardinals have, um, no. but he has shown the ability to start games. Right, uh, so he can he can get people out. He can get people out. Um, How many we'll see. Right. So and what we'll, we'll see what Matt Libertore uh, has has in him after after last season. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I I was reading a lot of uh, studying a lot of uh Dan Zimborski's Zips projections, I guess last week. Did you did you look at those? Cuz Actually, I looked over them, yeah. Yeah, the offense looks very good and the pitching staff looks solid if and and I think you know if dot 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 and mm. it, it's not going to be a great pitching staff. I I think and I think he mentions this like they don't have that guy at the top I, I don't think there's any illusion that we can count on Jack Flaherty being that guy right. but they still have according to his projections uh three pitchers who are, are at least two win I, I excuse me four pitchers who are four starters who are at least two win pitchers um mm-hmm. and then uh, another guy in, in Stephen Matts who's projected for 1.6 I mean that's a pretty solid rotation it's not great but it's it's good especially when you have and he talks about this such a good defense behind them even with Harrison Bader no longer being in St. Louis uh, and at least a decent offense if not a if not a good to very good offense and that reminds me and this surprised me but the one stat I remember from this article I want to pull it up again I should have had it ready but he mentioned that the Cardinals have not finished below 20th in baseball in WRC plus since 1978. So not once in my lifetime. It's happened in your lifetime. I, I don't mean to, uh, you know. Point,
0: point that out there for you. The
1: <laughs> for the audience. Just letting, uh, but yeah, they have not. Okay, yeah, here it is. The The last time the Cardinals ranked worse than 20th in baseball. So that's the bottom third in baseball, at least, you know, for the last good 20 years or so yeah Um, they have not finished worse than 20th in baseball in wrc plus since 1978 which really surprised me i would have thought you know maybe like one of those herzog teams like the 88 Mm -hmm. team or the 1990 team but and
0: there's been some teams recently that felt like you know like the 2015 team that got by on pitching they were a really good team but they didn't seem to score a lot at times so
1: right that surprised me. They mm-hmm. they've always been able to score runs. I mean, you know, a lot of the you know some of those teams. You know, the 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 1998 team obviously did not have any problem scoring runs. The 2004 right. team didn't have any problem scoring runs. One of those teams was very good. One of those teams was uh, very so. very average. Uh, <laughs> so you do need more than offense. But that that really really surprised me. Yeah, because I don't. <sighs>
0: There are, you're right, except for like the outliers of Maguire or the MV3, even when the Cardinals have good hitters, we don't really necessarily think of them having a good offense overall, you know, just like, like, I guess we don't think of them having a bad offense and to be lower than 20th right now, you have to be kind of like a bad offense. So I, you know, I guess there's that, but uh, yeah, I, I don't because so long the pitching staff was the focus of this team and you won by pitching and getting enough offense. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that you start looking at it, you know, I guess like last year, you know, with, with Goldschmidt and Arenado, and of course, you know, apparently, you know, time displaced Albert Pujols, um, you know, that was a very good offense except for, you know, maybe the catcher spot. So, I don't know. I think we're always looking for something to gripe about. So, um, cause I can't, I mean, what, over the last 10 to 15 years, I don't, I think it's been continual, uh, harping on the hitting coach. So even (laughs) though they've been putting up together, you know, pretty good offenses in that
1: time period. Yeah. I I was trying to think of the worst offense over the last 10, 15 years, especially over the last 10 years. I mean, would it have been like the 2017 team? Uh,
0: Real Probably problem. not, right? Because I
1: think that team actually was okay from an offensive standpoint. Um, don't quote me on that. I, I'm, maybe I'm just th- clouded because of the Tommy Pham season that he had. Yeah, um, that's true. But yeah, um... I don't know. That that just surprised me. I know that's uh, you wanted to talk about the current team, and I'm trying to take you back to <laughs> 1978. But... Um, well, yeah, well, can okay. I ask you a question about the current team? You can. Because this is something I've been thinking about, you know, with Yadier Molina. Me personally, I always put a lot of stock in that stat that would get thrown out there. That look, these are the starting pitchers' uh, ERA and uh, you know run prevention numbers when Yadier Molina is not catching, and and these are their numbers when he is. Um, I, I'm not saying it was gospel, but just based on the track record of for how long Yachty was here, I thought after a while you could at least say like, okay, I think I feel confident that there's something there. What do I do now with Wilson Contreras, who kind of has the opposite problem now on a much smaller scale, mind you. um, But because, you know, he obviously hasn't been around as long as Yachty was around. But if you look at his, I, I think, you Darvish was the pitcher that a lot of people looked at, uh, uh, and said like, okay, Darvish's numbers were a lot better when Wilson Contreras was not catching him. Uh, and let me be clear. I don't think anyone's under the illusion that Wilson Contreras was, was like a, one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. That's, that's not the, that's never been the case. And I don't think anyone's expecting that to be the case next year, but, does that worry you just because we've been so used to having this sort of pitching whisperer or whatever you want to call it behind the plate for almost the last 20 years, is it going to feel like such an adjustment period to you to no longer have that, or at least in your mind, have that, whether or not it's true. I mean, we certainly know Yachty wasn't that great the last couple of seasons. Um,
0: I think uh, that, Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, I'm wondering if with the, the analytics and all that kind of stuff, if this isn't a time for the game calling to kind of get rested back to the dugout a little bit more. I mean, will we see Contreras looking over to... Dusty Blake or Ollie Marmol a little bit more often for, for pitches to call, especially in certain Mm -hmm. situations. Um, Maybe that negates a little bit of that institutional or just baseball savant um, knowledge that, that Yachty had that you could never duplicate. Um, You know, that said, you know, you, when you started talking about stats, I expected you were going to toss out that stat of, you know, stolen bases from, 2004 where the Cardinals have given up like, you know, attempts six uh, or
1: 700 less Well, and go ahead. No, that's another one. And, and I think I'm going to forever keep that period 2004 to 2022 kind of frozen in time in, in terms of thinking about, I, I just feel like 10 years from now, I'm going to be returning to, I'm going to be talking about Yadier Molina and I'm going to be like, yeah. Look at 2005 to 2022, and how many stolen base attempts there even were against the Cardinals. Like he shut down, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, right. And I'm gonna miss that, <laughs> like, because that 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 era is over. But that, but no, that that's certainly another thing. And and that's that's not one of Contreras's weaknesses. He has a, you know, he's well. But then
0: you know the bases get bigger, and you can't pick off it. Of, you know, you can't throw not, over yeah. as much. And so you put all that, all that together, you know, even if Contreras, I mean, I know he's got an arm, but you know, at some point he's going to come off looking worse. Just, he was going to come off looking worse by comparison anyway, just because this Yachty and really didn't where he is. But when you throw in that extra wrinkle, you know, I think there's going to be some people that are like, man, Yachty would have gotten him. Well, Yachty might have, but Yachty might not have with all these new rules too. So right. um, I think we have to it's not a, it's not a scientific problem where we can just throw, you know, we're just changing one variable. We're changing like the whole situation. And and it's going to be hard to know how much of that is on Contreras and how much of that is on the new rule changes. And, and I'm it, sure there'll be some metrics to figure some of that out, but I don't know.
1: And, and let me be clear. I'm, I'm very excited about Wilson Contreras. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like the signing. I think he's going to be loved by the fan base. Uh, he keeps going fans yeah right. <laughs> uh partly because of the way he plays um but also i think his strengths are very visible whereas his weaknesses are not um mm-hmm. and, and i don't mean to i i don't know i don't mean to make this sound like i'm being snobby or saying anything about like casual fans but his strengths really uh I think kind of stick out to casual fans, whereas his weaknesses, whether it's like pitch framing or game calling, you're not really going to notice if you're just tuning in once a week or, or just reading about him in the paper and seeing he went two for four with a double or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, and I think the office is going to paper over that. Right. I mean, you're like, you were saying there, I mean, I think we'll, you know, any yeah, any any kind of step back in pitching or defense, it's going to be more than made up for by his bat. I mean, when you look at what Yachty provided the last two or three years, I mean that was that was a, a, a you know a black hole is pretty close to <laughs> pretty close, right? And that was you know when you can just even just get into league average would have been a, an improvement, especially with the, the people that surround. But you know, Wilkinson Contreras is. Significantly better than league average, at least that bat. So, I am interested to see how this offense works because if everybody, if and again, it's all the uh, the best shape of your life and all this stuff off the off season and all that. But you know, if Contreras can hit like he has usually hit, and if Lars Nootbaar's gains are real, um, and if Tyler O'Neill comes back to something compared to what we thought, which again, we're starting to add the ifs up but you put this lineup together and it can be a really dangerous one really really fast
1: yeah and I think what you said uh, the black hole referring to Yachty, and that's exactly what he was last year almost almost beyond that that's what really sticks out if you for instance look at the zips projections for this carnal scene they don't have that uh, now you can maybe expect their, you know MVP Paul Goldschmidt, who's what? Is this going to be his age thirty six season or age thirty five? You can probably expect a little, you know, regression there. Same with right. Nolan Arenado, because he had such a good season. But at least on paper, and and this is pretty rare. If you want to compare it to other teams, they don't have that one position where they're just like, man, that they're just going to get replacement level production from. Right field or second base or whatever they they have a pretty solid lineup, top to bottom. Right,
0: I mean their their floor is very high. I mean it's it's very interesting that the projection systems look at them so differently. <laughs> um, you know what, baseball prospectus I think had them. I mean, Pakota had them at what 86,
1: 87 wins, and right Pekoda behind had them at, at eighty five point five. I think. Uh, yeah, do you do you have a right. do you have your own theory as to why? Pocota, um misses on the Cardinals a lot. Okay, so Pocota had him at 85.8 um, for, for this season. And for for context, for a- anyone who's listening, I believe the Cardinals have outperformed their Pocota pro- projections 10 seasons in a row, if I have that right, or um, at least nine seasons if we don't uh, include the pandemic in 2020. Yeah. And that's it's, and that does not happen. Or no. at least it's pretty rare. And and sometimes they smash their Pagoda projections. Like for instance, um, let me pull it up here. Last year. Last year they were projected to win 79 mm-hmm. and they won ninety-three. Right. Which right. 79 at the time seemed absurd. Mm-hmm. Like if you would have said 84, that would have been like, okay. Um, you know, because th- these Models are conservative anyway. And 84 would not have jumped off the page as being just downright silly, but 79 kind of seems silly, which is rare for a projection system to shoot something back. Um, that seems silly, but that one did. Um, yeah, Another, I'm trying to look at uh, another year where they just absolutely smashed. Um, yeah. 2013, they were projected to win 84 and they won 97. Now, I, if you remember that team, you it, you can see why they missed because is, that's the team that batted what, like close to 340 with runners and scoring. Yeah, that's right, that's right, But I'm curious, do you have your own theory? I've actually uh, – Rob Mains, who writes a lot of Pocota stuff, or at least the analysis of Pocota at Baseball Perspectives, he's a friend of mine, or at least an internet friend of mine, and we, we have <laughs> direct message back and forth – several times on this because I've always liked picking his brain because one, I think he's one of the best baseball writers uh, who's currently doing it right now. And I stupidly one time asked him, I was like, is it just like, is it because of like the Cardinals depth? Because the Cardinals are typically over the last 10 years or so have been deeper than most teams. And he's like, no, like, you know, Pocota, Pocota thinks about depth. You know, that's not something that Pacota would miss. It's just, they just have this formula that somehow keeps overperforming this system. And I, do you have do you have a just any harebrained theory as to why that might be?
0: Not really. I mean, not knowing completely what goes into that. I, I mean there's there's got to be something intangible there, and I know that I hate to say that because so many of the intangibles can be measured in some way or another, you know, just, you know, playing good fundamentals can result into more outs or outs above average or something of that nature. But, you know, I just, there's got to be something about the training and the preparation and stuff like that. And, you know, because I mean, Pocota doesn't look at stuff like Yachty picking a guy off third because he's not paying attention or something, you know, the, the small things that over time add up. That's my only
1: guess. Yeah. I, I yeah. If you feel
0: like one of these years. But even, even something like that.
1: that is not going to really amount to much of a change in wind total. I, I see what you mean. You're counting like plays like that over right, the course of a right. season. Right. Yeah. I like you, I can't pretend that I know exactly what goes into Dakota. So I, I thought maybe for a while it had to do with the fact that, well, the NL Central has been pretty weak over the last 10 seasons, um, not counting 2015. It's been rare where you've had more than two teams that have really, uh, you know, mm-hmm. been solid, uh, especially after the trade deadline. But I would have to think that's something that Pakoda might, I'm sure that's something Pakoda uh, – factors into its system as well. Now they, and this is mentioned often, if, if you read baseball prospectus, Pocota can't factor in a team selling off, you know, a, a team that's right. maybe hoping right. to compete at the beginning of the season, deciding to tear it down uh, because it's just not happening. So, you know, they can't necessarily project for that, but.
0: Well, and and that's also the Cardinals have been fairly good without looking at the numbers, I feel like on the whole, a lot of, a number of years, they've been a very good second half team, right? In part, because maybe they pick up a the smart, you know, make a smart move at the deadline, even though it may not look like one. Um, it turns out to be a good move at the deadline. And maybe the Pirates are getting rid of people or the Reds get rid of people or something like that. So it would be interesting to see like at the at the halfway point, of these last few years um, how close they were to their Pocota projections. And if they, if they really the overperformance came in the second half, I don't know, but that would be would be kind of a guess.
1: Oh, anecdotally, it certainly feels that way, right? Mm-hmm. About how good they've been in the second half. And I think that is where depth really comes into play for the Cardinals. I think, and, and I don't mean this as commentary on how they perform in the postseason. But one thing I think that's been really good about the Cardinals over the last, you know, basically in the Mosaic era is that they've been built for a regular season, a baseball Mm -hmm. regular season, 162 games, meaning that one injury is not going to crush this team because, because we've seen that happen. I mean, Pujols briefly in 2011, but we lost full seasons of Chris Carpenter. We lost full seasons of Adam Wainwright and In these seasons, the Cardinals still managed to make the playoffs. Uh, They've been able to overcome injuries with that depth. Uh, And again, I don't mean that to say, so they're like a very good regular season. They're built for the regular season. Uh, And again, I don't mean that. I'm not saying that to say like, that means they won't win in the postseason because I don't really buy that. I know a lot of people like to say that based on how they performed the last two post seasons. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily think how they're built for the regular season reflects too much on the postseason. I really don't. Uh, I, I think that first kind of started to become a thing in 2019 when they just looked awful against the nationals and they did. I mean, that was a very, I, I can't, it's very, it's hard for me to even come up with like a fun moment from that series uh but you know that was that series was a game removed from them scoring 10 runs in the first inning against the braves uh mm-hmm. so having all of a sudden your bats go silent that's just kind of baseball and and it can happen at the bad time especially when you're playing against good teams like you are in the postseason uh yeah 2000, 2021 they had a one game against the best team probably in baseball that. And, and, should they have lost. And, could, and they
0: easily could have won that
1: one. Yeah, and they easily could have won that game. Last year, they lost to a team who went to the World Series, who also beat the Braves. So I don't know. I'm just not ready to buy into that. I think that's a silly narrative. That doesn't mean the Cardinals can't spend more and make the team better. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the idea that, oh, they're only concerned about doing well in the regular season and don't care about the postseason, that makes zero sense to me.
0: Well, and if you're going to tell me that a team is going to be successful, and I mean like very successful, to the fact that they can win and to go to the postseason in the regular and be bad in the in the in the postseason, I'll take that over a team that's not going to be any good in the regular season, but you know, some way one year flukes their way into the postseason and wins. I mean, No,
1: I I totally will. I mean, we we're trying to watch almost every game. Mm-hmm. I, I don't watch every game, but if I have the chance to sit down and watch the game, I will. So I want a team that's going to be a good regular season right. team uh, because there's so many games and it, it's going to be a part of our lives for for how many months? Six months. Six months uh, yeah, yeah we, we want them to be wired this way.
0: Yeah. And and, you know, maybe talking to other fan bases, maybe they feel differently, you know, you know, did, does a Houston fan base, I don't imagine they enjoyed the tanking, but you know, is it okay? We did that. And now look at the success we're having. So that was okay. I, you know, I just don't want to have to go through that. And thankfully as Cardinal fans, we don't have to, you know, they're successful every year now, you know, does that translate into world series titles? Not as much lately, but It could. I think the only argument that I, the only thing I could see is that, you know, as we talk about that top of the rotation start, those kind of guys make more of an impact in the postseason than they do in the regular season. Um, But yeah, there's no Mm -hmm. reason why the Cardinals shouldn't be able to win some games. And honestly, you know, if, if Helsey's healthy last year, they probably win that first round
1: and who knows what happens after that. For sure, or at least the first round has an entirely different feel if they don't blow that first game. Right, you know what happened in that first game? I was in. I was visiting my parents, uh, because it was um, it was a three day weekend and my kids had time off school, so I, I flew them to where my parents live to visit my parents, and of course my mom is like, oh, we're having such and such people over, um. And, uh, and I, and they're coming over at such and such time, like five o'clock and I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, that's going to be right. When this Cardinals game is ending or, um, if not in the middle of the game. And so these people come over and I have the TV on in the next room, but I'm positioned to where I can see it. And I'm trying to be polite and talking to my parents, friends, but really I'm watching Helsley and blow the game while ollie marvel is not doing anything and i'm just dying on the inside and i'm talking these people are talking to me saying god knows what i'm not listening to a thing they're saying i probably seemed like a very rude person because i'm just like lasered in and focused on this tv (laughs) that's about 30 feet away from me (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that so that's what I remember about that series uh, was watching it implode. And I had to just kind of sit there and smile because I wasn't in position to, uh, I don't know, scream, <laughs> s- scream at the television.
0: Yeah, I remember that I was watching the game and it got to, I guess it was the seventh or maybe it was even the eighth. And then it was homecoming here, so they had the homecoming parade, and my kids were in the band, so they were in March. So I had to leave to go watch it, and watching, as I'm waiting for the the parade and all that, watching it on game day, and trying to figure out what the heck is happening, (laughs) because they keep getting people on base, and people keep going, I'm like, this is, is, what? This is not supposed to be this way. So, yeah, it was a, a little confusing, and then, of course, the next night to watch them, you know, revisit the the National Series a little bit. But um, speaking of, um, we can use that as a transition to uh, today's news of Brian Helsley going to arbitration hearing over eight hundred fifty thousand club wins. Helsley is not is not thrilled about the whole process, and I can't blame him. Um, it doesn't sound like it's like a, a huge deal, but you know, the Cardinals went from 1999 to, I think it was 2017. It was Michael Walker. I don't Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was for, it went from Darren Oliver to Michael Walker without an arbitration hearing. And now they've done them pretty regularly over the last little bit. Right. I mean, Helsey's going and Cabrera this year. Uh, Tyler O'Neill went last year. They had one for Jack Flaherty, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. That may be... You know, that's four or five in the last two, three seasons. I'm just not... I'm just not sold on this uh, this being a real great idea. Um, I know that they wanted to get away from feeling like the agents were taking advantage of them. Um, But you got a closer and it's like the difference is barely the cost of a you know, a minimum salary of another player, you know, are you really wanting to get him, especially a closer who's, you know, kind of needs the confidence level. um, Do you really want to get in his head before the season and and tell him you're not as good as you think you are?
1: No. And I, I don't love it either. And the system is designed to prevent this uh so i'm i'm sure somewhere i shouldn't say i'm sure I, I i'm not gonna pretend like i know exactly how it works my guess is that they have their sort of system their algorithm that says all right these are the points this is the wiggle room um this is where we can't stray from and Anytime someone like strays from that, even if it's just by a certain amount, then they feel like they have to go to arbitration or otherwise they won't have any sort of system to stick to. I don't know, but you know, Darren Oliver in 1999, is that when it was? Yeah. I think okay. so. Michael and Michael Walk in 2017. Granted, you know, lock a starting pitcher and Darren Oliver. S-t- still, that's a different situation than Ryan Helsley, who mm-hmm. threw like seventy innings last year. Was possibly one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. i uh, not possibly. He was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. Um, he was what like a I think he was like a one point five win player last year, throwing like sixty eight innings. Uh, now he's also a relief pitcher, and we know how. I don't know we know how fluid that situation can be from right. one season to the next. Right. But still, what'd you say the numbers were? Helsley was asking uh, three. The Cardinals offered mm-hmm. 2.15. And yep. And for those who, um, I, I think most people listening probably know how the arbitration system works, but in case you don't, the the arbitration will, will pick one or the other. There's no like middle ground. Um, which is good because it prevents people from arguing, from like throwing out a number there. And I guess like kind of bad faith in hopes that uh, the system would say like, okay, well, we'll still like kind of split it down the middle or something like that. You really have to negotiate in good faith and offer a, a number you think is in line with what you contribute and what's in with the salary structure of baseball and all that. Um, certainly 3 million does not seem out of the ordinary at least again for me for a pitcher like Ryan Helsley, especially with some of the numbers we have seen with uh recently with players getting an arbitration and stuff like that. So that's what I would say about it. I, I do agree also with your larger point that to go from ninety nine to two thousand seventeen and then to have it uh pop up in the last several seasons with very key players, by the way, Tyler O'Neill, Henesis Cabrera. Um yeah, I don't I don't love it. Yeah, and I mean,
0: it sounds like they argued durability against Helsley, which I think is maybe a little bit fair just because Helsley has had injuries in the past. I don't know that I would debate that argument. And again, Helsley took it as, hey, I, you know, I pitched all year long last year and threw a number of four out saves. So, you know, I was durable and I was out there. But there was, you know, they'd also managed him, you know, make sure he didn't pitch back-to-back days and, and all that kind of stuff for a while. So, although on one hand, it seems wrong to be able to say you weren't durable because we didn't use you in a durable way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I I can kind of see where they're coming from. Although I, again, I don't think I'd make that argument. And I, well, also
1: also talking about a guy who led your staff, at least the, uh, the bullpen in innings. Right.
0: And I mean, You know, I think Helsey's got to say, go out there and like, look, if I'm not that great, why am I, why did you create this huge multimedia spectacle for me when I'm coming in to go ball games? You know, I mean, there's only (laughs) like, there were only what, like two closers in the game that had such a, you know, entrance. And, um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, like I said, I can, if you have to argue it, I just think you have to be really careful about the arguments you make in that. And I think you have to go into those kind of things being okay if you lose that if you're the team because you'd rather not go hammer and nails at it. If you have points to bring up, like Ennis Cabrera, I mean I don't know, you know, I'm really surprised that Ennis didn't just accept the offer. But, you know, he's had a lot of problems last year. He's never been, I mean, he's had, he's had stretches where he's been reliable. He's had stretches where he hasn't. I can understand the Cardinals wanting to make a case against them. And you may have points, but I just, you've got to make sure that you're not like casting aspersions more than anything like that. I mean, again, you know, we, this, we're coming off of this after watching Milwaukee make an argument against Corbin Burns to save, Less money than the Cardinals saved here with Helsley on a contract that was already, you know, he was either ten point oh one or ten point eight or something like that. You know, I mean, yeah, it was pocket change compared to the contract. Yet they went and upset their main, you know, ace pitcher by telling him, you know, basically we didn't go the playoffs because of you, even though he was like awesome.
1: But, and that was a point i was going to make is this is a bigger i guess percentage difference than you typically see this is not mm-hmm. this is not arguing over three hundred thousand from like right you know 1.8 to 2.1 million um uh, 2.15 million to, to 3 million that that's kind of a kind of a gap mm-hmm. where it you can so if you squint you can kind of make a case for okay i can see why they're not coming to an agreement um but as a fan and i'm mostly speaking now as a fan i I don't like it from the Cardinals' perspective and i wish they would just give him three million because i think he's good and i think it'll help the team win and i don't want him to uh be have any sort of weird be in any sort of weird space uh come spring training I will say, you
0: know, we look at this as the team and the player, but the teams also looks at this as, look, if we, if, if Elsie gets 3 million without contest, then a closer that comes up for the Mets, the Orioles, the whoever uses that as a basis number to get more, you know I mean? It just arbitration has been a huge driver of salaries in the past And I, you know, again, I don't, I'm not saying that's a really great argument. I'm not excited about that, but I, you know, if you're looking at it from the team's mindset and from major league baseball's mindset, there are times where they're going to argue those cases to try to not set the precedent for later on. It's less, it may be less about this number and these guys with Helsley than what may be coming down the pike. Yeah. Which is still, it's still a messed up system. And you hate to see that. I, you know, the players are the ones that put arbitration in. And it's been very good for them, I think, on the whole. I think I'd like to see the... I, I don't remember that... Usually you see the stats, right? That owners won so many and players win so many. I want to say players win more often than not. I could be wrong. But there's no doubt, even even just having arbitration. You know, without arbitration, Helsley's not making $2.15 million this year, right? I mean, he's probably still making you know, 1 million, maybe, or whatever the Cardinals did, if they had six years of control over them and just could move it up. Right. Um, so it's almost where you'd rather them say, okay, add a year of team control and then just go straight to free agency rather than this whole intermediate process that just runs, you know, runs the risk of making enemies of, of your players. You mean
1: have, have them become a free agent after year four?
0: Yeah, or something like. That. I mean, okay. that's just a you know, for example, mm, yeah. like okay, if you're gonna, because you can't say okay, make them free agent after year three, because that's just not right. I mean, that's just but not. It doesn't seem real. realistic. Yeah. yeah, if you made it okay, we'll give you one more year of team control without arbitration, but then the players get two years of free agency, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, something like that. I, you know, again, that's just top of my head, and I know there's a lot to go with it, but you know, something that gets rid of the arbitration process without being an abuse on either side.
1: So I I like the arbitration process in theory, because like I said earlier, I do think it's designed Mm -hmm. to work in terms of you have to come to the table with a, in in good faith. Um, But to your point, I don't like what it has become in in a lot of cases, which is uh, a couple of disgruntled parties on both sides um, and it and you don't want to have this sort of bad blood between, especially if you're like a player like Corbin Burns, like, you know, one of the most important players to, to the team uh, and the franchise. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, a it's tough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about what you just said, the four year, because, you know, six years is definitely a lot of mm-hmm. years of team control, especially with, you know, what we've seen teams do in terms of being able to manipulate um, service time, which I don't know. I, I've all, uh, and this is a very simpleton argument, but I've always thought like, look, if you're eligible to be rookie of the year, then that should count as a season. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Because um, yeah. Uh, wasn't, so wasn't Chris Bryant rookie of the year? I don't know if he was
0: or not, but he could have been. I'm I mean, I think he right. was...
1: I think he was like top minor league player of the year, then rookie of the year, then MVP. I think that's how his career, would was, career went or some, something to that effect. Um, but yeah, it, it seems silly to me for a, a guy to be able to be, uh, to be you can qualify for a batting title, right? but have it not count towards your service time. That just makes no sense to me.
0: And they changed that a little bit this time, right? In the, in the new CBA where if you win an award, you get, service time credit or something like that i'd have to look and see wow, i feel like I, they, should,
1: I, I should absolutely know the answer to that um they were at not, least talking about it i don't it, know if they've ever it made seems, it in or not it, it, like it that but that that almost makes it sound sillier like you have to win cool. you have to win like you can't just be like oh you're the third best player you're the third best rookie this season so um or well, you, you, came, that, you came second in the batting title so sorry those uh, you got the right. You got the requisite plate appearances for for a batting title, but still not enough for a service time. And since you since you weren't able to, you know, win that batting title, then you, you're not going to be able to. I guess yeah. that's not necessarily maybe an award you're thinking. You're
0: well it, it, here. Yeah, I mean, I found this with a search. It says players who finish at the top two of Rookie of the Year get a full year of service time. Okay. And so I think the idea is
1: I should have known. that.
0: because you know. Is to probably keep people like okay, we think this guy's, you know, like Jordan Walker, right? Let's just yeah. use him for example, because I don't think I don't think the Cardinals have done much manipulation if need. But let's say it's like okay, we think Jordan Walker will win the the you know Rookie of the Year. We don't need to keep him down until mm-hmm. May, right? Because, Might as well bring him up I'd now hurt him. because right, we're beating by
1: be keeping him down if, right. if we if we're doing some sort of manipulation here.
0: The other thing is also if uh, a prospect. If he's on the opening day roster and he finishes in the top three of the rookie of the year or top five of MVP Cy Young, they get an additional draft picks. So there's encouragement on the play, on the team side to let those yeah. guys come up as well. So, which is interesting, and, and that's a that's a wrinkle of the whole Jordan Walker. because I'm I'm pretty much on record. I don't think Jordan Walker is breaking the team opening day because I just think there's too many people in front of him. But that is a little bit of a wrinkle, right? I mean, if you think that he's good enough to win rookie of the year and you can get an extra draft pick out of that.
1: Um, that's kind of interesting. For sure. And and I've always thought the best way to change this would just to be push it back to like June or something, uh, you know, mm-hmm. give, give some teeth to it. Like, cause there's no way the Cubs keep Chris Bryant down until June, two thousand five in 2015 or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm, promise i'm not picking on the cubs here even though we certainly enjoy picking on the cubs well, I mean, that, that's well, just the, yeah. the easiest go-to example because that's the one right. that kind of i, I feel was a flash point in this whole argument
0: yeah i think so too didn't they do something similar with mark prior though as well i mean it wasn't as as blatant i feel like that prior had some of those issues too um i may be wrong um yeah bryant is the one though that definitely seems to have been the because i mean he sued for that i don't know how he lost his case that was really surprising uh, but he filed a grievance on that. Um, right. And and I do think, yeah, it, it helped influence how the CBA was written this time around. So um, it, it's an interesting thing. And again, hopefully it's not a big deal. And we, we know that Tyler O'Neill, it affected him last year. But that was also in part because the arbitration hearings were held during the year because of the lockout. Um, instead of spring training. So hopefully it's, you do it. And you feel a little bit bad till you get that first paycheck. And then you say, well, this isn't so bad after all. And <laughs> You know, you know, like Helsley said, I, you know, I can be making 3 million. I can be making 2 million, you know, I'm, I'm still making money. So um, hopefully that's the, the attitude they have. And hopefully, you know, to some of these players, you got to feel like it's, it's that fuel, right? I mean, if Tommy Pham ever went to arbitration, he'd become MVP the next year um, <laughs> because that man can play with a chip on his shoulder. Um, if you go out, if they go out and that's, you know, I'm, and I'm about to talk out both sides of my mouth right here, because you know, I mean, if they go out and say, you're not durable, then your, your idea is to, okay, I'm going to pitch all the time. The problem is then if you're hurt, you're not going to tell them you're hurt because you want to say that you're durable. So you can, you know, not show that they were right. So I don't know if that works out very well.
1: That's a good point.
0: Yeah. So, um, we've done our regular hour. Um, is there anything else out of is spring? I know we're seeing just a lot of, you know, bullpens being thrown and batting practices being taken and things like that. But is there anything that has you know caught your eye besides Ozzie Smith walking around camp?
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, let me see. You know, I, I'm just following Ozzie right now. There you go. You know, That's fair. Um uh speaking of which, there was something about his rookie card going around the other day i actually meant to send it to you and i forgot uh i was out of town um uh i'll have to look back to see what that was about um yeah. but no no not really it still seems very early to me i you know as as the weeks go on there's more and more to talk about uh i i will say this i'm very excited last year the uh the whole drama especially this time of year last year I remember talking to my in-laws and they were asking me, because they know I like baseball and they're asking me, so what's going on with baseball? And I said something to the effect of, I wouldn't be surprised if the season doesn't start till May or something. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it was just like right. a very depressing right. time. And it it really took the wind out of my sails in terms of getting excited about this stuff. Um, but now I, I feel I'm very excited, even though we're still what six weeks away from an opening day or five and a half weeks, whatever mm-hmm. it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, last year, yeah, you're right. We didn't know when the season was going to start, and we weren't really sure about it. And you hated to think about a, a long lockout, but it could have been, um, you know, two years ago. They're coming out of COVID, and they're still trying to negotiate. And there was a time that we didn't think there was going to be baseball that season either, right? I mean, that they were trying to figure out how they could play or if they would play, and it was kind of that pre that you know forerunner to the to the lockout arguments that were going to be had. Um, so, and then of course, you know, getting around this time in 2000, we're talking about this virus that's running around and you know, pretty soon that all shuts down. So just to, like I've talked especially with like Katie Wu a couple weeks ago, you know, the idea that we know when spring training is going to start, we know when spring the, the season's going to start and we know with reasonable certainty that it's going to be a, normal year. Right. I mean, you've got the world baseball classic in here and that's a little bit different, but still that's not, you're still playing baseball. It's not a, we don't know what's going on type of situation. So it's just nice to be back to that. And, you know, again, I don't want to get too excited about seeing Jordan Hicks or throw to Wilson Contreras or something like that, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lot better to see a whole lot of videos from Jupiter on my timeline and a whole bunch of people arguing about stupid stuff. So, um, you, <laughs> you know. know,
1: um, and, and I listened to the entire episode with Katie Wu, it was great. Uh, but somehow even doing that, it slipped my mind that you're right. This is the first season since 2019, where there's not like a cloud over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously 2020 almost the whole season, 2021. Um, The season began with I went to a Nats game that year in April and you can only have the stadium, I I believe, a quarter full. Yeah. Um, And obviously last year with the lockout. So, yeah, that's a very good point. And maybe that's why I'm I feel more excited than I have in a while, because, yeah, there's there's no sort of, oh, but there's this thing going on. And and that's good. It's just, yeah, I'm 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 ready for baseball and there's there's no. There's no cloud about to rain on me, I'll rain on that parade. Right?
0: Yeah. In a couple of years now, you'll be saying, "Just, just tell me what opening day is. I don't care." You know, we'll <laughs> be back to that. But right now, right now, it's novel, so we'll take it. So. Uh, Alex, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, I look forward to doing it again. I'm sure we'll do it again a couple times this year. Um, and
1: yeah, thanks for joining me. No, thanks. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. That flew by. I I looked at the time uh, a second ago and I was like, Oh my gosh, we've been talking for more than an hour. I I did not even realize. So yes, thank you so much for having me on. Um, Although I do look forward to hearing Alan's voice again, but um, you know, I'm always happy to, to fill in, even though those are huge shoes to fill, but to fill in as best I can.
0: Yeah, it, I hope it's flown by for the people that are listening as well. Um, and Alan will be back at some point in time. It's um, He's just really getting fired up with the baseball now. I, I, in fact, I need to talk to him. I, I know that our high school around here is kind of starting this week, so I'm sure his or his games are really getting, getting fired off uh, over there in Tulsa. Um, but next week we'll have Russ Robinson from Redbird Rants to join us. So until then, for Daniel and for Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night.
1: Alisea, the second for one, the double play! What a double play by Ozzy Smith! Oh, mercy!